<laughs> did you have music on or did i like imagine that no i yeah i got okay uh, I, I, it's just like you were coming in strong uh, <laughs> and then then i didn't hear it so i was like maybe i imagined that. no i i was uh at the record player and walking away so you probably heard uh, uh, <laughs> well hey we like that i like it i like it Oh, it's the first Smashing Pumpkins record. Nice. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, there was a few years there that um, couldn't get it. It was really hard to mm. get. And because uh, they hadn't made any in a while. And they last month uh, dropped a bunch of reissues. Nice. Yeah. So I got one today. It was really good. Nice. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. Like, I don't mind pumpkins in the background. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds really good. This was the tape, Gish, uh, that I I listened to it probably every day when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff after that, I didn't really care about. It was okay, but right, yeah. liked it, but yeah, not yeah, yeah. Cool. Did you go into town today? No. No. <laughs> Last night I did. Yeah. The, the Galax. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's when on the way back, the local radio station um, was doing live from that Rex Theater. Oh, it looks awesome. That's where you go here, Bluegrass, and it's live, and then they play it on, I guess, live on the radio station in Galax. Yeah. Like a, God, I hope it. Um, I hope they're able to able to stay open. I just right. love those old theaters. I, I swear, like the uh, Carolina Theater here in Raleigh, which Raleigh's about it's a pretty long drive from here. It's about three three and a half hours, but um, mm-hmm. they have the Carolina Theater there, which has been preserved for like a hundred years. And they have the uh, splatter flicks every year, the horror movie marathon. Oh, yes. Fucking great. And uh, um, like I didn't go during COVID or, and I didn't go this last year, but every year before You're that, it. I, I got to I gotta go back. It's <laughs> And the theater's just unbelievable. It's like, uh, you know, like the old days mm-hmm. and preserved. It's amazing. Nice. Well, this week I have dueling witches. I have witches that are not witches, or maybe they're witches. (laughs) (laughs) This is very, uh, these are other stories that, actually, this is from a book that I can't get enough of that I have to order 
the hard copy for my bookshelf. What is it? Appalachian Curiosities. Oh, cool. By Laura Wright, and it's yeah. really good. It has a lot. I think it covers Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. In oh, that book. God. Sounds great. Um, we'll write it down. All right. And can, you want me to just go? Just yeah. start? Okay. And this is called Dueling Witches. The term witch is used here in the same context as the discussions of Tennessee's infamous bell witch. The witch in question wasn't a woman or even human, but has left an indelible mark on history. These two lesser known cases both happened in Virginia almost concurrently. Was it coincidence, migration, or did two rivaling, rivaling spirits compete to see who could raise the most devil? So these are similar and this book has quite a few actually in Appalachia that are similar to the Bell Witch kind of stuff, right? Yeah. This one is called The Moon Ghost. The Moon Ghost is a name given to a series of bizarre incidents that took place in the home of Shiler Moon of Slavana County, Virginia. The house was once an estate called Churchill, around 12 miles from Charlottesville. These events baffled even the brightest minds attending the nearby University of Virginia. So how did a successful level-headed attorney like Moon become, a, become the target of a supernatural event? That question has plagued researchers since the events occurred. Shiler Moon was a native of Fluvanna County born in April of 1824. He married Mary Shores in 1849 and the couple had four children. The Moon household was never associated with strange or, bo strange or bizarre events before or after the witch. Early accounts state the haunting started in 1863, while later information states the disturbances began in 1866. There wasn't a dramatic start to the haunting. The, the activity escalated just like with the Bell Witch, the Clip Wizard, or Bertha Seibert's Witch. And real quick, they mentioned a wizard clip from West Virginia, which was another haunting in like 1794. That's a good one that could be in an episode. <laughs> um, but just similar kind of stuff. And then um, Bertha Seibert's witch is also known as Bouncing Bertha. And that was in 1938 in Virginia. And the bed would bounce. Yeah, it was like crazy. The bed would bounce. And and Bertha also saw a small, strange white animal before the stuff, before the event started. But this is, <laughs> that's how many of them there are. There's so many. But this is the, sorry, back to the moon one. Articles of moon's clothing began to disappear from the household. The random thefts didn't draw much attention at first. The family reinforced windows and changed the locks many times, but, but small thefts continued. In August of 1866, the family had a serious fright. A candle box filled with whiskey-soaked cloth was ignited by the house, which is scary. <laughs> the fire seemed to be the spirit's way to announce its arrival. The blaze was estimated to have started around 1 a.m. When the contents of the burn box were examined, 
the Moon family found remnants of the missing pieces of clothing. A short time later, the entire household awoke to different noises in different rooms. The children all ran into the parents' room and refused to leave. Moon lit a candle and went to search up for the noise. He checked a few rooms, but the candle blew out. He relit the wick, but it always went out once he reached a certain spot. Moon was irritated and figured he'd just examine everything in the morning. There hadn't been any further disturbance, so he figured it was probably an animal outside or beneath the house. He didn't find anything amiss or broken the next morning. The rest of the day was normal, but the noises came again that night. The phantom crashes and thumps were now so loud the parents heard them. The family thought the furniture had overturned or floors had caved in. The noises came every night for several nights. The family slept together during that time. Makes sense. (laughs) Moon finally had enough. He sent his wife and children to a neighbor's home for the night. He gathered several neighbors to sit up with him. He was determined to find out what caused the disruption. Everyone was armed that night. (laughs) We always love that part, right? (laughs) Everyone was armed that night, as they sat in the parlor. The group fell silent around midnight. A phantom mist formed in the middle of the room. It, (laughs) It eventually took human form. It made a sweeping motion with one arm, and the china flew off the table and crashed on the floor. There was a tremendous knocking at the front door, but no one was outside. A few men drew their weapons and shot the phantom. (laughs) (laughs) But the bullets passed through it. A loud scream came outside and the parlor ghost disappeared. Noise then came from the roof of the home. It sounded like someone was ripping shingles off the house. The family owned a small store But even that was subject to the haunting. Small items always went missing and were later found piled in haphazard places. Petty vandalisms also occurred, but the vandal never left any evidence. That's creepy. (laughs) And it's perfect. (laughs) One account stated a full battalion of Lee's soldiers was stationed around the house. At one point. And the presence of so many potential witnesses had no impact on the frequency or degree of activity. The soldiers were just as susceptible to the events as the Moon family. Moon began to keep a vigil around his house to see if anyone could spot a burglar or vandal. A standing reward was issued for anyone who apprehended the culprit, which eventually grew to $1,000. On several nights, as many as 40 men guarded the household outside, many students from the University of Virginia frequently visited and tried to help the family solve the mystery. Mary Schuler sat on the front porch one evening with her nephew. They watched the specter in the yard. It first formed itself like a snake and crept towards the porch. It, <laughs> it slithered through the yard and up the walkway. The nephew shot at it, but it didn't make a sound when hit. It just morphed into a ball and bounced away. That's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) 
A figure approached the house one morning just as dawn broke over the horizon. Several students fired their guns. That's nice. <laughs> and heard a scream. They were convinced they shot the creature. And it was human after all. It left a large trail of blood behind as it ran into the woods. They decided to track them as soon as they had full daylight. No one could lose that amount of blood and travel far. They waited around half an hour and followed what they believed to be blood. In direct light, they realized it wasn't blood at all. The phantom had tricked them. The ghost was said to fire bullets at people, but never came close to actually shooting them. It also had a strange habit of gathering random objects from the house and piling them on the lawn. The family heard scratches and knocks most of the time. Windows were frequently broken. Lights danced in and around the house. Groceries were dumped or mixed together and left in the yard or, or on the roof. It's estimated that over 40 people saw the physical form of the ghost and six, six <laughs> successfully shot the phantom, but no one stopped it. Um, Abram Myers of Frederick County said the moon ghost would be silenced as the family read the final three chapters of the book of Daniel. They performed the reading and were successful for three days. The spirit returned, however, angrier than ever. And real quick, the, the last three chapters of Daniel talks about, um, like Daniel has a vision of an angel and um, the angel explains to him that they're like the angel was in battle so the angel explains to, to Daniel that there are spiritual battles going on that we don't see. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right. The disturbances continued until 1868. Several sources report the ghost left a goodbye note. That <laughs> I love that. It left a goodbye note that read, I will not pester you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was signed, Jack ghost oh, wow. whatever the truth is the haunting ceased moon sold his estate two years later and the next family never had further issue with the supernatural many blame the events on noted horse oh wait a minute i thought i lost my page unnoticed noted horse thief lucian beard in 1871, Beard claimed that if Moon would help him get exonerated, he would unravel the mystery behind the haunting. The Moon family didn't believe Beard had anything to do with it. They said Beard was incarcerated most of the time during the haunting. Rumors also persisted of a gold mine on the property somewhere, and there were people trying to scare the family away. This also has never been substantiated. No gold mines exist in that area that we know of <laughs> but that's just crazy it's, I love these wild wild hauntings like random hauntings like yeah. all of a sudden yeah I love the um, uh, the objects moving around objects I'm like piling them up and yeah yeah is a good one. All right, I got one about old theaters. Okay. From uh, my old town of Wilmington, and um, 
This is called Thalian Hall Specters from the book Best Ghost Tales of North Carolina. Okay. The theater is reputedly haunted by two ghosts who are believed to be the spirits of Maude Adams and James O'Neill. Wilmington needed a theater and it had to be big enough to accommodate large crowds since the booming port city already boasted over 6,000 residents. The facility also needed to be grand enough to attract celebrities and first-class performers. When it opened in 1858, everyone agreed that Thalian Hall more than fulfilled its obligations. The theater was and still is an architectural marvel. Its style and splendor have been copied by other architects, including the man who designed the famous Ford Theater in Washington. Out of the thousands of actors who have performed at Thalian Hall, more than a few have claimed they felt an unseen presence backstage. It's certainly possible since there are some actors who like the theater so well that they refuse to leave even after their deaths. The theater is reputedly haunted by two ghosts believed to be the spirits of Maude Adams and James O'Neill. Both performed at the theater, although not in the same production. It's believed that Adams is the protector or guardian angel of Thalian Hall and O'Neill is the mischievous one. Responsible for moving items or playing with the stage lights. One time when a workman was above the main stage fixing light on, lights on the second grid, he laid down a tool next to him. Later, when he reached for it, it was gone. The tool turned up on the lower level where no one had been working. It couldn't have fallen without making some kind of noise. There have been other accounts of finding tools or props where they shouldn't be. Sometimes work, workmen or actors are positive that they didn't leave an item where it was found. The lights are dimmer lights, which means in addition to flipping on and off, they can also be turned from low to bright. Mm -hmm. On occasion, the lights have inexplicably gone from low to bright and bright to low and from off to on and on to off. This is especially hard to explain. The most intriguing experience occurred many years ago during a performance. One of the actresses had to make a quick change into an Edwardian costume that had dozens of tiny buttons that had to be fastened. Mm -hmm. In order to help the actress, the wardrobe manager always buttoned as many of them as possible while still leaving enough unfastened so the girl could put the dress on without difficulty. Mm -hmm. After she did her part, the wardrobe manager always put the outfit over the back of a chair in the actress's dressing room. During a particularly hectic performance night, the manager realized she had forgotten to get the dress ready for the actress who was about to finish her scene. Knowing the girl would dash off stage to change, the wardrobe manager hurried to get the dress. When she couldn't find it anywhere that it should be, she desperately ran to the girl's dressing room to see if it just might be there. When she flung open the door, the costume was on the chair. Amazingly, the dress was neatly pressed and partly buttoned, mm -hmm. just the way she usually prepared it for the actress. Mm. Thinking the girl must have taken the initiative, the busy woman dismissed the event and carried on with her duties that evening. After the performance, when she praised the girl for her initiative with the costume, the wardrobe manager learned that the actress had not readied the dress for the costume change. 
Mm. A quick investigation revealed no one else admitted to helping with the outfit. In fact, no one associated with the production knew anything about this preparation. No one seemed to know the costume, know how the costume got into the dressing room. Stacy Edmonds, an administrative assistant at Thalian Hall, has also heard this story, but she doesn't believe a ghost was responsible for the costume incident because she doesn't think ghosts are interactive. Edmonds believes ghosts have left a powerful impression in space and time because they were such vibrant and energetic people when they were alive. Mm-hmm. Those attuned to this energy can even see them. She's a believer because she has seen a ghost. It happened at Bessie's, a popular bar in Wilmington's historic district. Mm -hmm. The Front Street hangout was formerly the Orton Hotel. Stacy was in the ladies' restroom when she was startled to see a black man who appeared to be in his early 20s wearing a string bow tie entering the ladies' room. Before she could ask him what he was doing there, he walked right past her through the wall. <laughs> Edmonds, fig- Edmonds figures he worked in the kitchen when the building was the Orton Hotel. According to old floor pan- plans of the hotel, the bathrooms at Bessie's are in close proximity to the hotel's kitchen. Although Stacy Edmonds has never seen the ghost of Thalian Hall, there have been sightings on the third floor of the theater. Those who have seen the ghost describe a seated man, James O'Neill, wearing a dark suit. A woman, Maud Adams, is seen walking around in a black dress with a big bustle. Some patrons seated on the third floor of the theater have sworn. No. Oh. Sorry, I'm recording. <laughs> it's okay, go ahead. <laughs> Some experts believe that cold spots are the result of a spirit using up all the body heat and warmth in given area. So if there's a dramatic drop in the temperature, it is believed that a ghost is present, even if it cannot be seen. In 1990, the Performing Arts Arts Hall underwent a major $5.5 million revitalization effort. Today, the lobby is where the back of the building was originally. The entrance used to be on Princess Street, but it was moved to Chestnut when the 25,000 square foot extension was completed. The new part also houses the box office, some offices, a studio theater, dressing rooms, and stage support rooms. Photographs of famous performers who have appeared at the theater hang in the new lobby. Even though changes on the third level were minimal, mainly bringing it up to code, the ghosts haven't been seen since the renovations. Maybe there have been too many changes for Adams and O'Neill to continue to call it home, or maybe they are satisfied that Thalian Hall is being well-maintained and they have moved on, or have they? A woman in a tour group a few weeks prior to my visit claimed to have felt a presence, according to a young man working in the box office. Miss Edmonds admits she sometimes experiences creepy sensations on the third floor. There is a really old antique couch, and you will start to feel a little queasy if you stand in front of it long enough, the woman explained. Yeah, I should have. I remember walking by it. Uh 
And because uh, downtown Wilmington is just an amazing place. It's fantastic. And uh, um, I never went inside the theater, but I, I saw it from the outside all the time. But uh, mm-hmm. Did you know it was haunted? At the... A yeah, lot of theaters are haunted, though, aren't they? And you always hear ghosts in theaters. Yeah, yeah. And, well, Wilmington especially, there's the downtown is all preserved. Sure. Yeah. And there's so many within a few blocks radius. There's legendary ghost tales, one after the other. It's just amazing. They even have a, a ghost walk, which is... Nice. I love those. Oh, it's great. And it's it's like you'll walk a few feet there's another story you walk a few feet there's another it's just amazing it's all this folklore and it's yeah i saw uh, that floyd has one so i want to do it this summer gotta do it any any time i go anywhere and they have one i do it it's great yeah but definitely theaters you hear that a lot yeah it's creative. It's creative people yeah. performing and yeah, you're, probably... you're all that uh, creative energy and emotion and uh, mm-hmm. it's still it, it's there was a part in there that is super interesting to me and it's what I always think about with so-called ghosts is she, the woman said she doesn't believe ghosts are interactive and there's there are some stories that you can listen to and it's like, okay, it's like a movie playing of a a scenario that happened at a period in time. And it just, for whatever reason, the scenario keeps playing out, you know, like you're playing a, a VCR tape that you recorded. And, but then there's other stories that are clearly interactive. It's like, what, what's the difference? Why? Right. Why? Right. Why is it that way? You know, why is it, um, um, some things want to interact or even, uh, you know, some things and, and and even with, uh, um, the uh, movie type ghost, the recorded hauntings, um, they still want to be seen. Is is that you know what I'm saying? Is is I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's fascinating. I don't have an answer. It is. I know we just love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, too. Yeah. And I and I feel oh, bad because no I heard my son like cussing, like because you know him being a musician that records and stuff. Interrupting someone recording is like, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't know where we don't care. We're fine. (laughs) We're good. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) All right, let me go into another one. Reverend Thrasher's ghost. Reverend George Thrasher lived less than a hundred miles from the Moon household. In Botetort, I never can say that, Botetort, I think it's Botetort, Botetort County, which is like around Roanoke. Um, His story is occasionally set in Buchanan County, but fewer sources substantiate it. His house became the target of seemingly supernatural events in 1870. 
No explanation was ever given, nor a theory suggested for why the activity targeted his house. Thrasher was a Baptist minister known as a respectable and intelligent, intelligent individual with no propensity towards theatrics. Nevertheless, Thrasher found his own house a target of the bazaar. Despite the frequent violent events, the family always said they were never afraid, just annoyed by the spirit's antics. The activity began in late 1870. Mrs. Thrasher and the children heard voices talking by the family's corn crib around five that afternoon. The voices were loud enough to be heard, but not understood. The family investigated and saw two men near the structure. The men noticed them and ran off. Two sacks of corn had been emptied on the ground by the crib and the family believed the two men were responsible. They then encountered a problem. The locks on the crib remained securely closed. The structure had no other access point. Unlike the moon ghost, where subtle disturbances peaked in full activity, the Thrashers didn't have any time to prepare. The very next evening at the same time, Mrs. Thrasher discovered the kitchen window had been neatly removed and leaned against the cabinet below. Cooking utensils were scattered around the room, but nothing was missing. George's patience has reached its limit. He waited in the corn crib the next evening. He only saw a servant woman pass by. He eventually gave up and returned to the house. He then noticed a bag was removed from the lock room. A lock, okay, I was good. I was hoping they were going to tell me what a lock room was. <laughs> <laughs> a lock room connected the kitchen with the rest of the house. Sorry, does that make sense? Say it again. A lock room connected the kitchen with the rest of the house. I guess it's a room between the kitchen and the rest of the house. Didn't they in old houses kind of keep the kitchen sort of separate for heat reasons, like in the summer yeah. and stuff, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's telling me. Why don't you just keep reading, Lisa? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because house fires were so common in the kitchen, they were often separated from the home. They kept the kitchens kind of separate. It was securely bolted from the inside, but now the window was wide open in the lock room, sorry. Yeah. So there was a room between the kitchen and the rest of the house, got it. Small things around the house disappeared and reappeared in strange places sometime later. Objects and rooms were cast around in minutes. Two local ladies visited to help the family get to the bottom of the mystery. They, like many, suspected Thrasher's servant named Anna Pring. They asked Pring to take the Thrasher's youngest son into the kitchen and wait. They cleaned and cleared sev several rooms. They made sure the windows were tightly shut and bolted. They then locked all the doors behind them. One of the ladies carried the keys in her hand as they went up to Mrs. Thrasher's room and talked with her a while. They returned minutes later. The doors remained locked. They entered the parlor door first. Books were scattered. Table lamps had been placed on the floor. Everything was moved or simply tossed. The windows remained secure. They found a strange key on the other side of the parlor door that wouldn't open any lock in the house. 
Mr. Thrasher performed a second experiment himself. He found the activity infuriating. He never had any reason to suspect Pring's character, but he had to verify it wasn't her. Of course, you can, you're, they're uh, suspecting the servants, like effing with them. Um, he chose the dining room for his observation. He bolted the windows and made sure everything was as it should be. He then locked all the doors leading to the room. He went to talk to his wife and timed three minutes. He returned and found the dishes from the dining room table were everywhere. The room was turned upside down. Pring remained the object of suspicion for some time, and those who suspected her believed she had help from a mysterious third party. The logic behind this has been lost to time. Who, who that might have been or why she would have made so much extra work for herself. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> Remains unknown. Like, if you're the maid, yeah. why would you make a mess every day right. to mess with somebody? You know what I mean? Right. The fickle suspicions eventually moved from the maid to Thrasher's youngest daughter. One evening, Thrasher took his wife to speak to the neighbors about the manifestation. Around 10 minutes later, their children arrived and said the kitchen was targeted again. The furniture was moved, utensils and dishes scattered. The youngest child said she saw two men run off before they left. That's just weird, though. Why do they keep seeing two guys, right? The yeah. kitchen was vandalized the same way for the next two evenings. Thrasher bought a group to explore the area, but no trace of the intruders was found. The little girl again saw two men in the distance, and a group of those gathered gave chase. They found one of the men sitting near... Wait, they found one of the men sitting in a nearby vacant lot. Several in the group fired at him, but he disappeared. Damn. <laughs> the Asher moved everything from the kitchen into the locker room to see what would happen. Whatever targeted the kitchen stopped. And so long as nothing was in the kitchen, nothing was moved. That's strange. Sorry that I'm thinking in the middle of reading. <laughs> Before the family could breathe a sigh of relief, the phantom knocking began. Oh, goodness. Loud rapping began on the front door every day between 3 and 8 p.m. That's a quite a gap. That's a lot of knocking. Yeah. The knocking grew particularly violent around Christmas. By this point, the force loudly whistled, slammed doors, rattled the windows, and made crashing sounds throughout the home. It was particularly offended when the family tried to engage in prayer. The thrashers positioned several people on either side of the home to watch when the knocks began, but no one saw anyone within the vicinity of the door. One evening, Thrasher was away on church business. The knocking grew so loud that Mrs. Thrasher feared for her family. She summoned a neighbor, Dr. Wood, to check the house. At times, the activity ceased for a day or two, but it always resumed. People strolled by the house a number of times when the loud knocking was ongoing. But even when looking directly at the door, passersby never witnessed anyone there. The Thrasher household sat atop a treeless knoll and was visible even in town. Many townspeople watched the Thrasher house from below, but to no avail. The haunting grew even more aggressive by February of 1871. 
Small objects, such as pieces of wood, stones, and chips of brick, commonly flew around the household. Entire rooms continued to be ransacked. Thrasher saw a thin shadow in human form around the house several times. The spirit often pulled clothes from the line and piled them on the ground. Thrasher and his wife visited Dr. Wood for a few minutes one evening around Valentine's Day. While there, they heard Wood's children playing, but then it changed. Bells rang and someone knocked violently on the door of Wood's home. Wood's young son demanded to know what the spirit wanted. The adults heard a strange rumbling voice that seemed to come from the ground. It spoke a language no one was familiar with. The, man, the men examined Wood's house and surrounding yard, but found nothing. So it followed him to the neighbor's house. That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> um, snows came, but it didn't stop the activity. A window was broken in the Thrasher kitchen, and whoever did it left no tracks in the snow. The ghost grew even noisier. Huge thumping noises emanated throughout the house. It sounded like a large man in heavy boots jumping in the hallway. Beds were turned over in their rooms. The spirit talked to children, but would not communicate with adults. That's interesting. Eventually, it began to speak English. The youngest girl in the house was angriest with the spirit. Most of those who were skeptical of the events now believe she was at fault. She told the spirit what was going on, but it didn't care. The ghost claimed it was not through. On another occasion, the girl hit a window of the home with a rock. The spirit became irate. It told her not to hit it as if whatever affected the house also affected it. It had no fear of guns and didn't care how many people tried to shoot it. <laughs> we need a t-shirt with like people trying to shoot a ghost. Because that comes up so much. We need, we need a t-shirt. <laughs> Two men visited to witness the activity for themselves. They tried to sleep that night, but the spirit wouldn't let them. A strange figure walked in the room and then walked backwards down the steps. It stopped every step. It repeated the pattern of walking up and down through the house. Thrasher's bedroom door was opened five or six times just that night. Several other occupants had their covers torn from their beds. That would freak me out. <laughs> the Thrasher family couldn't take any more as spring came. In March, they moved to Jonesboro, Tennessee. I don't blame them. The mystery was never solved. As far as far as it is known, the haunting did not plague the next family that occupied the house. But I wonder if it followed them. I guess we. I guess not, or maybe it would come up in a Tennessee haunting book, right? Yeah. But that was that was like a little bit of everything. Yeah. <clears throat> Not only the fuckers are shooting at ghosts, UFOs, <laughs> Bigfoots. <laughs> I need that T-shirt. Yeah, somebody shooting at a ghost. <laughs> oh my god, it, it, um, the best! I might have brought this up last time, but <laughs> the best episode I've ever heard of a podcast. Is Sasquatch Chronicles episode 873. Okay, I'm writing it down. 
it's David from North Louisiana. He's dead now. And he talks about his experience in 1981 where he goes out to, um, he was, yeah, he was fishing, but, you know, it's like a lot of the good old boys in the South, they always have guns on them. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he's in North Louisiana. He's like at a swamp and he stumbles onto a Bigfoot. And the Bigfoot is super aggressive. And mm-hmm. um, I think he was like 18. That is the best. I'm going to listen to it later. I've heard my life. It <laughs> I is, may have heard it. Probably, I've listened but... to it multiple times now because it's just fascinating to me. And it's like, there's no way this guy's lying. There's just no way. The guy is... <sighs> It's it's an amazing story. It's amazing. And uh yeah, I've just had to go back and listen to it because it's it's that amazing. And the guy's no longer here, but um you really uh it's really emotional. You really start to feel for this guy and what he was doing, mm. you know. You start to pick up like he's telling the truth, like it feels oh. real. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, uh, it's unbelievable. And the guy, when he told the story, you know, uh, this happened over 40 years ago. And mm-hmm. it, he, I mean, you can tell it's just stuck with him every day since then, you know. Wow. Super intense encounter. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to give too much away because it's really good. Everybody should listen to it. It's, Episode 873 of Sasquatch Chronicles. I wrote it down. I'm definitely going to It's on YouTube. It's even on YouTube. So if you I, like... I have a, a, a recommendation for audio drama. Okay. Earlier this week, I remember I was like, I can't find anything to listen to. <laughs> that happens to me sometimes. Like, I usually have my, yeah. like, group of what I listen to. Yeah. And then sometimes, I don't know, I don't know if I listen to a lot, I don't know, just sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I want to listen to. I've been like that for a couple of weeks. And I found, and usually when that happens to me, I find like audio drama and just kind of like, because it's a story and I just listen to it. And this one's called Strange Trails. And it's like a drama about a podcaster. This is like a popular, um, (laughs) this is what they do now. It's yeah. about a podcaster doing a podcast about um, Shadow Man. In oh, West wow. Virginia. Yeah, so. Yeah. And then What's on the coming? news, did you see Julian Sands is missing, the actor? Yes. Yes. Missing, not, missing, I don't know if it's missing 411, but he's, he was hiking. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just happens so much. It's insane. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Warlock is a killer movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah. 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 Not. Uh, yeah. I hope they find the guy. That's that's awful. But. Um, yeah. But you won't catch me out there. I can fuck that. But after. 
all the Miss 411 stuff. It's like, oh, man. Out there paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like what Politis says. He says they've never found um, any of those missing cases. Um, none of them have had two things, a gun and those personal locator beacons. He's like, mm. so go out, have a gun and the personal locator beacon. It's like, that's Always. pretty good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And some energy bars and water, of course. But like the, yeah, that stuff's fascinating. It, it you know, I, I told you about my friend Andy since I was a kid. He's one of my best friends. Mm. He is one of those dudes. Like this guy literally lives in the wilderness for months out of the years he, he's such a outdoorsman and ski guy he's done it his whole life and right like no big deal oh yeah <laughs> it, it's amazing and uh he's just always been that way he loves it and um doesn't carry a gun or any of that um has lived in his car for months at a time just to ski every day and that type of stuff and the last time he was here to visit, I was like, dude, I'm like obsessed with all the <laughs> stories. Tell me some freaky shit that's happened to you. Right. He, he didn't have any. He he was it's like nothing. Yeah. He was like, I've had he's like, there's definitely been nights um um that he heard weird noises. He said, that's the most I could give you. He said, but I've never seen lights or any of that. And I'm like, God, all that time out there, you know, <laughs> it's a shame. You haven't had a run in. But isn't that crazy? Like someone yeah. could like, like just do that and never have anything weird. Yeah. <laughs> or, and, and then, and then you've got somebody driving down the road and it's right there. You know, it's, it, it's, right. it's the, um, the nature, I mean, the way I see it is the phenomenon is fleeting. It's short and then it's gone. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's like mm -hmm. there may be hot spots and things like that, but usually encounters are very short. And is it something about our state of mind at the time that make us catch it? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. But then the hauntings I was just talking about, like, this is just, like, families in a house and, like, all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose for some reason. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's just fascinating. That, and sometimes I think it does. You, you remember when we were, um, uh, I think it was our first episode with the Brad Steiger book. Mm -hmm. And that was back when um, Brad Steiger was still kind of a skeptic. He wasn't totally convinced on ghosts um, mm -hmm. being spirits you can interact with. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of evidence of a lot of those uh, hauntings that seem to point to adolescence for whatever right. reason the... Uh, um, the energy being put out by the kids feeds into it, you know. I don't know right. how, but it seems that that's a big component. 
with a lot of those poltergeist activity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I, and I always go back to like that ghost I saw when I was a kid. I don't think anybody died in that house. Right. So what? What the fuck was that? Like, why? You know. Like, why there? Yeah. <laughs> and why that image? Why the lady and why? If there wasn't, if nobody had ever died there, you know, it's like so. Um, I'm not. I I just don't think of this stuff as like dead people that much anymore. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's some. You know, that's of course that's got a lot to do with it in some cases but i don't think it's always that you know right but there's the popular things that we see like the lady in white yeah like we all pull on that same uh group of of images <laughs> right yeah yeah All right, I got a little quick one. Okay. okay. Um, writing in, this is from Fairies by Janet Board. Great. Mm-hmm. Writing in Fate Magazine in 1978, Jane Frances T. Woodruff described her two sightings of little people in Massachusetts. The first encounter took place in spring 1974 in Lexington. My friend Barbara and I were walking to our high school and enjoying the fine weather. We both happened to glance to our left at a small patch of weeds where a figure about 10 inches tall was sitting with his knees drawn up to his chin and showing us his right profile. Did you see that? We exclaimed in unison. Surprisingly enough, we both described the leprechaun the same way. Green clothes, a long, thin, curved golden pipe between his lips, and a flopped-over conical cap. A year later in Ashby, Massachusetts, my friend Oren and I both saw a group of elfin creatures no more than five inches tall staring curiously at us. In a field of blue wildflowers, we saw hundreds of tiny fairies leaping from Mm. flower to flower in an exquisite dance. I would have thought I was imagining such wondrous sights if my friends hadn't been there to describe the same scenes. Right. (laughs) That's so crazy. Like, why do certain people see certain things? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we just looked over and there was a guy 10 inches tall smoking a pipe. It's like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like those days. I live for those days. (laughs) We're trying to stay in that state of mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want every day to be like that. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to be on um, Vuk's podcast again. I think I am too. <laughs> Good. Good. I figured. Yeah, he um he's supposed to call tomorrow and we're gonna record. Oh nice. Yeah. I'm excited. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you good? You got anything else? I'm good. I think we, we gave him some ghosts. All right. 
And I have more gifts. I have a whole stack of gifts. Oh, good. I have some freaky Southern stuff going on. Yeah. That book, Appalachian Curiosities, Laura Wright. That's a good book. Yeah, I put it in my cart. I'm going to get it. The um, Yeah, I need to read some more ghost stuff. I'll, I'll get on that. All right. <laughs> All righty. Well, have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, you can't fool me with your dagger tongues and your wizardry. Ah, what do you know? They can't see because you were meant to levitate and lie prostrate and fly. And they were made to hesitate and to analyze and cry. And then you look out your window, so keen, so evil, then you gently burn the circles off the table. Because you were meant to levitate and lie prostrate and You were meant to levitate and lie prostrate and fly, and they were made to hesitate and to analyze and cry. Yes, and I can see your prayers, they're all written in the sky. Yes, and all of your promises are they? Think you're just a hoe